0: But God has ideas for your jobs and what you are supposed to do with your life. And you know what? Part of why you go to Sunday school and why you have a chance to be here is so you can learn about that as you're growing up. Let me pray for you. Lord, thanks for all these children, and uh, fill them with wisdom and your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, stand up, and you go that way with your great teachers, Miss Annika. Good work.
1: Is it too late to change my profession? (laughs) That spy thing's got me going. Okay, a couple of things I'd like to talk to you about. One is in your uh, bulletin this morning is one of these handouts. And I'd like to encourage you to just take a look at it. If you want more details, you should find more details on the website. These are just ways that you can connect for uh, this coming next three or four months. We have everything from small groups, information on MOPS and women's ministry, men's ministry, uh, our theological education, what classes that we're offering. So take a look at that and uh, go to the website. There's probably more information there and you can uh, click on whatever you're interested in and fill out your name and contact information and whoever's in charge will contact you and tell you what's going on. The second thing is I'd like to talk to you briefly about Merle and Dorothy. I think most of you have heard by now that Merle is with the Lord. He died um, this week. Um, Mark and I went down, and Jude went down as well. But Mark and I went down and spent two or three hours with Dorothy and Leslie and Kathy, and then Jude was down. And I know that many of you have as well. And I would like to, first of all, say thank you for doing that. Uh, Dorothy told us that just a few days before Morrow went to be with the Lord, they were talking about DCC and how much love has been poured out by our congregation You've written them letters, you've visited, you've called, you've done all those things. And um, we have laughed because I've been going down there pretty regularly to see them. Just because they moved for health doesn't mean they're no longer part of us. They've been with us way too long for that to happen. And they have been very conscious and very aware of your response to them. So think with me in about three to four weeks from now when the flowers are starting to wilt and the... Uh, Cards have all been opened. Memorial service is behind her. Uh, The girls have gone back to their families. The dinners that have been prepared have been eaten. There will come a day when she will crawl in bed and she'll realize that her husband's with the Lord. I've been there. I know that. And um, so keep those cards coming, those phone calls. Keep them coming. So three and four weeks from today and on after that, When you're in the city, call her up and have coffee with her. Or just say hi, even if you don't have time to stop by. She just will love it. She so enjoys hearing from you. We will be having a memorial service here. We don't have an exact date. So you can watch the website, or if you're on our email list, we'll be sending out communication about that, and you'll get it. But it'll be here somewhere down the road in a week or two, and we'll have more information. But I wanted you to know, uh, Dorothy... We asked her, what do you think Merle's doing right now? And the girls, and they started laughing. They said, he's already on the slopes. (laughs) And uh, it just made us laugh. God answered our prayer. His um, passing was fast. It was quick. And so we were thankful for that. It wasn't as much struggle as there could have been um, for somebody that labors to breathe. So we're grateful. So I'd like to pray for their family right now. Father, I do lift up Dorothy and the girls. during this time thank you for the for the decades of impact that they had here Uh, I've only been here a year and a half and I've felt it already in many many ways I pray that during these coming days and weeks and months that your grace would be as strong as it's ever been continue to bless them thanks Lord for making them a blessing to our congregation in your son's name we pray amen
0: all right so today I'm going to answer a question that we asked a couple weeks ago on the 28th, if you happen to be here, what do you wish someone would have told you when you were younger? I wish someone would have helped me understand this. What we're gonna talk about is in this series that we're talking, where is your faith? And the reason we bring up the idea of faith is because we live in a world now in this culture where faith and reason seem to be mutually exclusive. And actually, in a lot of ways, faith has been kicked to the curb in a scenario where it's less value. It doesn't uh, bring as much truth um, reference points that are useful for us. So Jim and I are thinking through different contexts to say, where does faith fit in here? And today we're going to talk about faith and work. Faith in your job, faith in your career, faith in what you put your hands to do. And we're gonna start with this fabulous nineteen late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties video. And i I want you to watch this and and uh, listen to the perspective on work on this. Go, Errol, when you get it and
1: yoyos, that's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the empty.
0: Obviously I should have had one of those headbands. I mean that headband is awesome. But did you hear the perspective of work in there? We we gotta move these refrigerators, we gotta install these custom kitchens, we gotta do th- those guys aren't dumb. They get their money for nothing and their chicks for free. They might get a blister on their little finger or maybe get a blister on their thumb. That's what that song says. So there's one perspective on work. Then Listen to this one brought. Uh, maybe it's a little distinctive. We'll find out. enough, because then he goes on and he says, it's hard, it's hard work to be like Jesus. He says, you know, I'm a good Midwestern guy. I'll work hard if I've given a chance to do it. Um, I don't cheat on my taxes. I, uh, you know, I'm doing my job here. And then he says, I might be a little, I might get a little overimpressed with myself until I think about Peter and Paul and the apostles. But by the standards around here, I'm doing pretty darn good. (laughs) Interesting the distinctive in those two perspectives of work. Here's my suggestion today. I suggest that you have a theology of work. You may not even know it. And that it influences so much of your motivation, what happens, all of your idea of work in general, and that then the concept of faith and work connecting together often might be a stretch for you. I just finished a class, which is, finishes an interesting concept because the class was titled The Theology of Work. It just got me started thinking. I'm going to plow this for years to come. Because the idea of us having work to do And that being intrinsic in with some kind of a relationship with God is actually foundational to everything that we do, everything. And there's a couple things going on. Do you know what your job descriptions are? Now in your mind, you just went somewhere. I don't know what that was. They may be actually your job descriptions at your functioning work right now, or they may be back further. They may even be foundational. And yet, do you think, do you consider what those job descriptions really mean? How that affects your beliefs and your behaviors? And second of all, do you have any idea how you're going to measure success? you have any concept of that? Well, you do. You clearly do. You've got all kinds of metrics around you. But is it the theological? Is it the way that God thinks about work. So this last week I was uh, down in Denver and I had two opportunities to pick up a little bit of information. One was I was in the locker room at the gym where I go and I heard a couple of guys next to me. Now ladies, usually the men's locker room is actually as boring as all get out. If you thought there's all kinds of stuff going on in there, it is not. People have their heads down. There's a lot of grunting, and that's about it. And it's like three-year-olds playing with trucks. Nothing's going on in there. But every now and then, somebody starts talking, and you can't help but hear it because nobody else is talking to each other in there. We're men. So these two guys, they, we can't help it, but we could change if we had to, I guess. But anyways, the, these two guys sitting next to me, they're in their 70s one guy says to the other, have you quit working yet? That caught my attention. And of course, what did they start talking about? They started talking about retirement, right? Let me give you a little insight into the idea of retirement, by the way. Just a little aside. In the year 1900 in the United States, 65.4% of men over 65 years of age worked at a job for a paycheck, 65.4%. By two thousand seventeen point six 17.6% of men worked past 65. Do you realize how radical of a cultural shift that is? Do you think we know what we're doing with that paradigm? I'll let you go there. So. These guys are talking to each other. And what do they do? They start telling each other, you know, because you may have had these conversations or definitely listened to them. They start telling each other all the things that they are doing. Volunteering here, organizing that, doing this, running over here. They're the two busiest guys I've ever heard talk about their lives. And they're not working anymore. Why? It is impossible for a human being to check out on some kind of a job description. In fact, if we do, we die. That's the truth. I heard another conversation sitting in a booth at a restaurant. Guys next to me, two of them in their mid-30s. It's some kind of a job interview going on because of what they're talking about. And they're both working very hard to impress each other, right? That's what guys do in their 30s during a job interview. These these are the things I overhear. We've got a lot of work to do. We could really use you. You bring skills and talents. There's profits, customers, benefits, inefficiency, opportunity, politics, success, losses, leadership. You know all these words, right? You've heard this conversation. Maybe you've had this conversation. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. What's the difference between those two conversations? Well, there's some difference, but there's not as much intrinsically as we would like to think. Here's a more important question. What difference do those conversations make? What difference do they make? Let's assume one of those young guys has the idea, and he makes more money than Bill Gates. And he accomplishes, he ends up getting a seat in Congress, whatever. Is that success? Let's imagine for a second that one of those older guys started a medical clinic. And in the process, people started doing some research. And they come up with the solution for cancer. And he makes a difference. And he leaves a legacy. Does that success? Okay, let's look at it this way. Is getting success, getting more money, more influence, more power, more capacity, more houses, children, is getting success? Well, it's got to be part of it, doesn't it? is it inherently the definition of success? Actually, you know so many stories, you could tell me the stories of suicides of the successful, right? Okay, let me flip it over. Is this the deal? Is giving success? If you Give away, if you're sacrificial, if you make a difference in other people's lives, if you invest in the community, if you uh, leave the legacy, if you whatever, is that inherently success? Does giving define success? Now, let me refer you to a couple of books that are close to the middle of the Bible. We won't read, but I encourage you to read them. One of them is called Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, one of the most successful guys in the world clearly says getting is not success by itself. And interestingly, another guy whose name is spelled (laughs) J-O-B actually tells us giving is not inherently success. Because Job's defense to God was, God, I've been good to my family, to the people who work for me, to all my neighbors. I have been benevolent. I have been gracious. What's your problem with me? Interestingly, there's a reference point that is deeper back in the story that gives us some information. Giving and getting are part of it, but they do not encapsulize job descriptions or success. If you have a Bible and you want to turn with me to the first page, Genesis 1, or we'll have some of these verses up on the screen. The next passage we look at we won't have on the screen, but this one we do. Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to read all the beginning verses. I'm going to start down in the 20s but god starts to work have you thought about the fact that we refer to the works of god we consider the miracles the works of jesus do we we talk about these as we use the same word work okay and god starts to work on this and he first thing he does the word the verb there is separate he separates the light from the darkness second day He separates the sky from the water. Third day, he separates the sea from the land, and life shows up. Fourth day, separates the light into carriers, sun, moon, stars. Fifth day, he separates life into different forms of life in their own kind after their own design. Separation, you hear the word over and over and over in there. Separation does not mean to take it apart. In fact, what it means is to coordinate it and put it together to bring order. God takes, as it's described in the first couple of verses, particularly two, God takes chaos and brings order to it. That's what he does. Have you wondered ever where the impulse comes from inside of you to clean things? No, that was an honest answer. Thank you, because you do a lot of cleaning. The, uh, the impulse to clean comes because you are created as a co-worker with God, a co-creator with God. You are created to bring order, to make sense, to bring clarity. Do you know why it bothers you when the person cuts in front of you down in Silverthorne? That'll happen today. Sorry, Bruce. I got in trouble for this last week. But wherever you are on the highway, I'll I'll say it this way. When you're down by Georgetown and the person cuts in front of you on the interstate, you know why that bothers you? Because it's not orderly. You know why it bothers you when you go to a store and the person doesn't have what you need and they are not helpful to you? Because there's no order there not what you expected. You are a co-creator with God. Co-creator with God. This is your first and primary job description. To bring order and sense and reason. Interestingly, we wonder, do reason and faith, do they work together? You better believe they do. Inherently, that was the job of God that then he does this. He brings you into the story. Let's look in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. And skip down a little bit to 28. I'm going to come back here. It says, go now and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, every living creature that moves on the ground. Do you think God forgot that he had just said that? In Hebrew, interestingly, in ancient Hebrew, there was no word for yes. Isn't that bizarre? There was one by the time Jesus came, after the exile. But in the ancient Hebrew, there was no word of affirmation. You know how they affirmed and confirmed the information? They said it again, they repeated it. Does that make more sense to you why even half the laws are stated the way they are with all of the repetition? It was to affirm and confirm, not kidding, this is your job. I create you in my image, God says. Image is an interesting word. You say, well, what does that mean? Here's what it meant to the people who would be reading and hearing this. Kings would conquer large areas. And you've seen these images. The pharaoh would set up an image in a faraway land and say, remember who the king is in this place. It wasn't about the stone. It was about what the stone represented Now, interestingly, you are the representation. You're the standing stone. You're the, actually the word is used later, same word for idols all through the Old Testament. You are the idol, the reminder of the God who created order. And your primary job description is to be about the business of bringing order, direction, sense to what is going on on behalf of the creator who started the job in the beginning. That's your primary directive. Did you know that was your job description? Bear the image. Bring the image forth. This is, by the way, why so many of the the laws were set up to where you don't have other images. I already created you, God said. Now, there's a second job. In the middle of there, he picks this idea up. He says, male and female, he created them. We're getting the idea that there's some, something going on here. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Your first job is to bear the image by being a co-creator with God to bring order. Your second job is to bear the image by being a pro-creator with God, bringing life, bringing, maximizing what's there, bringing hope, bringing a sense of increase, of multiplication, of life, being the highest value, and moving forward. You are a procreator with God. Now, for some, we say, wait, I don't have a family, or I'm not capable of bearing children. First of all, do you know where the impulse came from in the first place? It is from this story. It is not a curse on you that you feel The urge, the desire, the purpose that comes from procreation. But second of all, it's not the only way that you bear life is to actually have a child. There are a number of other ways for you to bring a life giver. Have you thought about the word creativity, what that even means? You hear what what is in there, the idea of creation? And the idea is by bringing newness, bringing freshness bringing ideas that are developmental, bringing things that are like, oh, that is pro-creation. If you are not blessed by God to have children, interestingly, all of the narratives of the key women in the Bible all the way through Their inability or their struggle with bearing children comes up over and over and over and over and over. And that is because God is saying, This is not your final definition, but it's one of the ways that you'll be about the business. And then stop and think with me about how Jesus shows up as God comes and brings life from one that had no capacity for it. Isn't that fascinating? You're a co-creator and you're a pro-creator. By the way, these job descriptions predate everything else. They predate sin. They predate the idea of nations. They predate the idea of what you're specifically supposed to be doing in in any given day. They predate the concept of Of chosen people. They predate all of the law by centuries and centuries and centuries. They predate all of the covenants. They predate the Bible. These are the job descriptions of every human being who has ever walked on this rock. It's the same. The frustration that your co-workers feel, that they gripe about all the time, it's because they are not experiencing life and order. When you think about it, it's truly, that's the issue. The lack of fulfillment, the lack of success, the lack of whatever is because they're not experiencing these two primary objectives. Why? We forgot. We have forgotten. The whole Bible from the beginning through is a constant set of reminders to help us be image bearers, to be co-creators and pro-creators. The whole Bible is set up that way. The restrictions of the law are not restrictive. They're all about image bearing. The whole first half of the law is all about the image of God, and the whole second half about it is all about the image of humans, each other, and it's all about being good image bearers. The whole system is set up as a reminder of our job descriptions. Then something very interestingly happen, very interesting happened. Centuries go by, a number of forgettings and reminders, and then Jesus comes into the. If you have a Bible, you want to turn with me here to Colossians 1. It's near the back. It's almost all the way in the back of those little black books you've got in front of you. Colossians 1.15. Listen to the common language that's in here that is back in Genesis chapter 1. By no stretch of the imagination is this a coincidence. He, Jesus, Colossians 1.15 is the image of the invisible God. Wait, we've been talking about this. We know this one. Jesus is the image who comes to the foreign land as the best embodiment of who God is and what his intentions are. He's the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. You talk about the ultimate co-creator? Jesus is the ultimate co-creator. He's a human being that we go, he's like us, but at the same time, he's completely different. He's like God. How is that? God sends us the best representation of them all. All the things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authority. You see where the authority, rulership, you remember that word? If you believe rulership from the Old Testament is about taking something and abusing it or having like directives over the top of it to tell it how the world is going to be for it. That is not the idea at all. It is truly part of the bringing life, the encouragement, part of the motion forward, part of the maximizing potentials. He's before all things. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. He's the ultimate firstborn procreator. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. If you want to know what success looked like, Jesus defined success. Hmm. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth in heaven by making peace through this blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated, do you realize that's the key word that Smith and Marx picked up on in discussing economies and work and said, the greatest fail is when the worker feels alienated from the work, the purpose of the work, from the direction. And here, this verse actually says once you were alienated, you were like alienated workers in this equation. The best picture of unsuccess, if you will, from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your behavior, your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you, Jesus, by his physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight. And as it goes on, Paul says, this is the gospel. This is the good news. We know what the job descriptions are better than we have ever known them because Jesus lived them in front of us. He gave us the opportunity to see it, to taste it, to hear it. And his job description was not about what actual, whether he moved things or exerted work like as a chemical process or something. It was about the influence that he had. He brought life. He brought order. And then he brought reconciliation. He redeemed. He he gave worth back again. He deemed you family. He deemed you valuable again. Redeemed you. This is your third job description, if you are a Christian. The first two are the job descriptions for everybody who walks. The third one is specific. Because following Jesus, being devoted to Jesus, receiving the power from the Holy Spirit, a person can be the best reflector of the image of God known. If you want to know what sacredness is, sacredness is not that you work in a churchy kind of thing. Sacredness is you actually have been set apart by God to reflect the image now in a different way from the other people around you. You're not any more valuable inherently. You've just been chosen, set apart for that job. Now I ask you this question, how many of you consider, if you're a Christian, a devoted follower, how many of you consider your job, your environment where you work, the best opportunity for you to reflect Jesus, and interestingly, for you to be transformed to be a better reflector of Jesus? Sometimes we think we get transformed, we become Christian, more Christian, or whatever that means. Our life is changed by coming to church. You come to church an hour a week. If I keep talking, it'll be two hours. But you come to church for a little period of time. You go to your job for 30, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Do you really believe God set this up as the primary scenario for transformation in your heart and mind, for a different perspective? for movement to be more like Jesus. In fact, your job, your career, your place where you put your hands to do is the single best opportunity for you to become a better reflector and for you then to reflect to others. And that's your job description. Paul picked it up, I skimmed over the top of it here in Colossians, but he says all of this happens if you're going to have the third job description, by faith in Christ, that's what you do. All of this happens. So I ask you to consider. I could have shown you another video from the time frame right here. You remember the Andre Agassi Images Everything, the canon commercial? All the older people are shaking their heads and the young people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. But it was a Canon camera commercial and Andre Agassi was making, he was a tennis player, he was making this deal about images, everything. You know what? He was right. You know what the problem was? He thought the image was about him. He missed it because the image is not about us bearing our own image, self-fulfillment, self-esteem, self... Are you kidding me? What we forget is we are bearers of the image of God. That's what your co-workers forget. We all forget. You have the chance, with the power of the Spirit, to not only remember, but reflect. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thanks for the incredible... Description of an unbelievable job, the amount of worth and value that you bring. Thank you. Thank you that uh, our jobs start there with a solid theology and an understanding, a reminder of our primary job descriptions. Recall for us, remind us, and then may we remind others of you As Jesus did with the Father. Pray that in his name. Amen. If the servers for communion would come forward. And uh, let's all stand together. We take communion here. We have people come forward to receive it. In our tradition. You're welcome. If you're anywhere on a journey at all. Of trying to learn and understand more. And connect with your face more towards Jesus, we encourage you to come and be a part. We invite you. And uh, this is a reminder, you might have heard in that Colossians passage, there's a lot of talk about the physical body of Jesus, accomplishing work. And that's what this is a reminder of. Someone will offer the bread to you. The bread is not anything magic, but it's a reminder of the body. You have one too a reminder of that. And then someone will bring, offer you the blood. It's a reminder. It's not really blood. It's a juice. But it's a reminder of the covenant of the blood. And the fact that Jesus gave you that third job description. He reconciled you. He redeemed you. He accomplished the work. So as you come. Consider, I I encourage you, anytime you take communion, consider and remember. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your broken body, your shed blood. Thank you that uh, you value us that much. Um, Bless each one here. May they have a, a reminding experience, I pray in Christ's name.